right, we're on Sunday's lesson, and Brad's going to read for us Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. All right. Thanks for that, Matt. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth year, as I was in Susa the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now, I think it's probably a good idea for us to just contextualize. Like, yeah. Matt, whereabouts are we in history for the yeah. Jewish nation? Well, as the text communicates, these guys, uh, the, the Israelite nation is, as the Bible says, it's torn down. The walls are burned. Uh, there has been no repair done to the city, no significant repair done to the city since the Babylonians destroyed it over 70 years before. So um, the Jewish nation are a nation without a nation. Yeah. They are completely and totally dispossessed. Yeah, and I mean, as far as the years is concerned, this is estimated to be around 445 BC, which mm. is approximately 90 years after the first group of exiles was, was sent back. Taken away. And so this yeah. is like this is like a long time after, as you said, more than 70 years. This is this is like yeah. been a long time. And the the wall is still in disrepair. Yeah. So basically from there, and we can draw a couple of things out from these verses, but here you've got Nehemiah, who's in his mind, he's already on a journey, right? He's 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 made it. He's in the citadel. He's interacting with all these politicians and all these officials. He's he's right up there. He's second in command, realistically, yeah. in some respects, as the cupbearer for the king. So he's in exile, but he's doing pretty well personally exactly as an exile, right. as far as like his career, his circumstances. So he's a, yeah, yeah, he's like a young professional, and yeah. he's got it pretty much made, or so yeah. it seems. Um, and he's pretty happy with his situation until he gets news from his hometown. Right. And things are not going as well as he had anticipated. Up to this point in time, he's just been going along his career. God's got a call in his life. This is it. I'm going to be basically um, serving the king and witnessing to the king, yeah. you know, and I'm going to be doing what I can for the kingdom of God, right? Completely yeah. ignorant of what's been going on and the disrepair in his hometown. Something we didn't read, by the way, Brad, is verse 4. Yeah. So you read the first three verses, but we didn't read verse four. Well, why don't you read that one? Which for us, communicates man. his his feeling, his response, which is an important place. When to he go gets next. the news that his city, yeah, like the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, is in the same condition it has been for decades. Yeah. And you'd imagine that he wouldn't have been expecting that the city was still in the same condition mm -hmm. as it had been when the Babylonians sacked it, you know, so many years before. So yeah, verse four says in Nehemiah chapter one, when I heard these words. I sat down and wept and mourned, not just for, it's funny, it says mm. for days, not just for a few moments. I, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Amazing. Mm. And I said, I beseech you, God, and then he begins to pray this very beautiful prayer. I think something that, that you mentioned to me earlier, Brad, and that sticks out to me um, so sharply from this passage of scripture is that here is an example of a man whose heart's in the right place. So his career is going well. He's, he's the cupbearer for the king of the world, if you will, the, the Persian emperor, mm. the most powerful man in the then known world. You, he's ascended up to the place where he associates with the king and he serves the king. Yet when he hears 
that his homeland, his 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 capital city Jerusalem, is still in ruins. Mm. He's he's torn up. He's he's yeah. broken up about this, and he doesn't. He he he's mourns and he and, he, and cries and right and, and, and for me, I kind of feel like sometimes I can get caught up in where I'm going with my career that I don't really feel other people's pain. You know, it's like he's he's been emotionally affected by what's going on in his hometown across the world. Like, mm. it's thousands of kilometers away. Yeah. And he gets affected because of that. And why do you think that might be, Matt? Have you got any yeah. insight no, on why that might he be? Has a, yeah, he has a passion for God. He has a love for the truth. And that's why I say he's an example of a guy whose heart's in the right place. Mm. So his career is doing well. He's probably secure and financially, and that's the parallel we can make yeah. to our world. But when the people of God, who've been commissioned by God to, to, to share the truth of God around the world, are in ruins, yeah. he's not happy. That's right. So the equivalent in the modern era would be, hey, my career's great, my house is big, mm-hmm. my bank account is stacked and yeah. fat. But you know what? The church of the living God, which is the foundation of the truth, is in disarray. It's been broken down. Yeah, wow. It's it's not accomplishing its God-given purpose. Yeah. I should weep and I should mourn if my heart's in the right place. And that's what we see with Nehemiah. He's we- He doesn't care if he's rich. He doesn't care if he has a big house. He knows that the people of God who are called by God to share the light of God to the world that's in darkness, when he knows that they're not doing their job or they're not fulfilling their mission yeah. and being rebuilt through the power of the Lord, he's he's really upset about that. Yeah, so, and sometimes I just feel like I don't have that same compassion yeah. for what's going on in other people's lives in the church or um, in a circumstance that's far away from me yeah. uh, in a personal sense. Yeah. Um, and I feel like if we are more connected with God, if we have a, a greater, uh, uh, you know, um, relationship with our Father in Heaven, we'll yes. have a greater connection with our fellow man. That's and right. in so doing, we will be, we will, it will be a, a visceral reaction mm. when we see other people suffering yeah. um, or, or people that um, we know that God suffers with. Yes. We will suffer alongside them. Absolutely. And the last thing I want to say, Brad, about today's lesson, Sunday's lesson, is that you know, something that Nehemiah in this uh, part of the story teaches me is that... Um, as, as, a, as a person, so here he is. As, as I said, he's rich, he's wealthy, he's doing relatively well um, on an individual personal level. Mm. Uh, yet Jerusalem is in ruins and, and he's not happy about that. Th- this shows me that he cares about uh, what's ultimately good, uh, the ultimate good of the world. He's not thinking yeah. kind of short-sightedly. Mm. So, you know, the verse that comes to mind and I, I, it keeps popping to mind is, what is a person profited if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Yeah. Now, it doesn't directly connect to the story, but in this sense it does. So, uh, the souls of men are more valuable than the possessions of the world. True. Right? Yeah. So, so, here's a guy who realizes that. And the Jewish nation, according to the Apostle Paul, have received the oracles of God. So they're the, the depositories of the truth about God. They have the true knowledge of God as compared to the idolatrous nations. And if that truth is not known, if that truth is not understood, if that if that, that gospel reality is not understood and, and, and accepted, people are lost. Yes. People are lost. And so yeah. here he is in the midst of material wealth, mm. but that doesn't stop him from mourning over the fact that souls are being lost yeah. because Israel is in ruins, and that is the central 
kind of stage. That's the central which, centerpiece yeah, of God's exactly salvation right. yeah. for the nations. Yeah. And so I think that teaches us all a lesson. Uh, we need to have the spirit of, of Nehemiah. And then on top of that, just in thinking and reflecting on what you were just saying there, it, it's like, why is the, the walls in disrepair? I mean, like, I think Nehemiah, in his mind, the reason why he felt as though everything's probably sailing along sweetly back in Judah, in Jerusalem, right, is because people are responsible for that, right? right. They've Someone got else, a resp- someone's there, right. someone's going to deal with it. Someone's looking after yeah. it. And there's, there's, a, there's a two-prong, um, you know, jab on this. Yeah. One, to Nehemiah, for not considering what's going on back home and, and taking a, an initial interest, although he does mm. show that when he's asking his friend yeah. about what's going on there. But secondarily, <laughs> why aren't the other people taking charge and yeah. standing up for what they've been called to do? I mean, yeah. they've already been given the, the, um, the, the edict to go yes. back and repair. You're onto it. You can, yeah. you can go and do that. Why has it been left in disrepair? And sometimes, and we're going to lead into this in a little bit and just um, moving into Monday's lesson, but sometimes I think we can get so caught up um, in, in worrying about um, letting somebody else do the job for yeah, a start, right? right? Mm-hmm. But we need to be taking charge of it ourselves. We yeah. need to be taking direction as far as lies within our power um, mm. to actually make the movement of God successful, yeah. right? Yeah. And so we can mourn. Right, and as we're about to find mm-hmm. out, that Nehemiah is not just mourning for the sake of the fact that there is no, um, you know, success in the, the the protection of of what God was establishing politically through the nation of Judah and, yeah. and attempting to manifest His glory through them, like you were articulating before, Matt. But it's also a matter of that. Um, that he's wanting to do something about it. He's going to take an intentional part in the story as we're about to read through his story in, in, in his prayer. Let's so get let's, on to it, brother. So Monday's lesson. Let's get to Monday. <laughs> Monday's and we're going to transition lesson. from Nehemiah's reaction to the news that Jerusalem is still in ruins and in ill repair to his response to that, which is a beautiful mm-hmm. and powerful prayer, which can, to some degree, serve as a model prayer along with the other great biblical model prayers yeah. like Daniel's prayer in Daniel 9, Jesus' prayer uh, in Matthew chapter 6. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so well, let's get into it. Uh, Brad's going to read for us Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And that's where we find Nehemiah's response to the bad news that yeah. Jerusalem's trashed. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Wow. What a prayer. There's yeah. a lot of powerful <laughs> relevance um, yeah. to us in our own life. I mean, apart from the fact that he's already empathetic to this 
people who realistically he doesn't have any direct connection to. But he sees it, as we've already articulated, as a, a platform, as a stage for God to manifest his glory to the world. And he sees yes. it in disrepair. And he responds to that in a really physical sense. And then he prays this prayer. And he puts himself in the posture of responsibility for what's going on. And I just find that profound. Dude, I want to say something. So, I'm the evangelism director, the Sabbath school director, and the personal ministries director. Haha. Of the North New South <laughs> Wales Conference. Um, so three really flash hats, right? I find, and I've found this in 20 years of evangelistic ministry, that the people who succeed for God in soul winning and evangelism are people who take responsibility. Wow. Whenever you find someone who is always looking uh, to get out of responsibility for mm -hmm. the failure or success of their own ministry and work, you can guarantee they're not going to succeed in evangelism yeah, wow. or in mission. Yep. And so... I find this to be a very prescient example of a person who, who can succeed with God. Yeah. Because, he, you know, he, he just throws himself in there. He just, he takes responsibility for a really, you know, for a circumstance that he didn't, you know, create, right? Like, mm. his life is good, he's fine, he's hanging out in Persia, and he's wealthy and doing, you know, great. Yeah. Jerusalem is in ruins. Well, that's because, you know... Five generations ago, yes. they were just such idolatrous dum-dums. And, you know, those guys over there, they just don't know how to run things. They don't know how to care for things. Just imagine that in the context of Adventism in Australia. Mm. Let's be real practical. Yeah. And let's, like, make some people out there feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> how many people in the Adventist church in North New South Wales Conference wouldn't say, yeah, the churches are in disarray because, you know, all those old crazy conservatives from, from the old days or then the other side of the church says, oh, yeah. it's because all those loosey-goosey liberals from the modern mm -hmm. churches, mm -hmm. oh, the church is in disarray. How about we all stop saying the church is not what it should be because mm -hmm. that person, this person, this person. And why don't we say, no, 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 I'm going to take personal responsibility yes. for yeah. caring for the church and interceding for the yeah. church and yeah. praying for the church rather than pointing fingers at other people and then blaming them for yeah. what I perceive to be the church in ruins, right? Exactly right. You can see elements of Nehemiah's character coming out here through yeah. this prayer because he's not, he, he wouldn't have gotten to the position that he's in right. without taking the utmost responsibility for everything within his power. He's got the cup for the king, right? So this guy's got to trust in him. So yeah. if there's any mistakes, Nehemiah's going to own it. He's the guy that's going to say, yeah, sorry, that was me. Even if it's not. Now, I had a situation, I've had a couple of situations very similar on the road where I was driving along and there was this guy that was sort of sort of half in my blind spot and I put my blinker on, I cut the poor guy off, right? Yeah. Now, I could say two things and I've done both situations, right? One, I can basically get angry at the dude for his responsibility in the situation or I can take responsibility and give him a nice sorry wave. And I've had both situations, as I said. One, situation exactly the same as another on a different day. And one, I responded with um, uh, with the frustration and aggra aggravation that, that I felt the situation called for, and the other I didn't. And the reaction of the other person was profound. This is the thing. So one, cut, I cut that person off, and yes, I was responsibility, but so were they. They were sort of in that hanging into that blind spot. Interesting. And then when they, they come in, like they come past me thereafter, and I was like, what are you doing? I flicked my hand up at him. Like, you know, I was like angry at him sort of thing. And they, they got angry with me as well. And then they turned off and they went on the, some different way. And I sat there frustrated in my own rage. And then I realized there's this little voice in the back of my head said, what did you do that for? Did that actually achieve anything? And then another time later on the track, I had that same situation. And this time I responded differently. 
and I simply just put my hand up and gave a sorry wave. Yep. Now, two things. Firstly, that guy was responsible, as was I. And this is often the case. It takes two to tango. And there's always going to be dual um, culpability yeah. in any given situation where something goes wrong. And in that particular situation, um, putting my hand up and giving the sorry wave, I saw the guy come past and he had this expression of like frustration on his face. Yeah. And then when I gave him the sorry wave, he recoiled. Right. And I'm conscious of that verse that says that uh, a soft word turns away wrath. Right. And in that situation, I felt good because I felt like, you know what? I've actually been the, 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 the gap filler right between this person's heart and mine right yeah. now all of a sudden they're going away happier and so am i yeah. and that's the reality so taking the responsibility is such a crucial element to this that's but i love how ezra uh sorry not ezra nehemiah continues um his prayer and saying that god you are faithful because yeah. oftentimes we can not only blame other people for the issues that we see in we our church as you talk, yeah. we can blame god yeah. right for God, why haven't you fixed the walls? Yeah. Why haven't you yes. brought our church right. to the forefront? To blame, of, blame other people for the failures in God. our church. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. All right, but but like we can say, God, you know, you're the one that's at fault for for not our, our worship, not bringing in the people. Why aren't you bringing in the people from the community and this kind of thing? Nehemiah takes responsibility. He says, God, you are faithful. We are the ones, and he yeah. puts himself in that same posture. We have broken your covenant. And we're suffering the consequences of it. Oh, yeah. hear your servant and have mercy on us. And how little we cry out to God to have mercy on us as poor failures of Christians. Yeah. And he, this yeah. is the reality. Like, Nehemiah was not a failure yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Everybody's looking at Nehemiah. This dude, this dude's got it together. Yeah. But he takes responsibility. And that's the, the position. That's the posture. Like, when, when God is talking about Moses. And he says that Moses... because. It says in, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that Moses was humble above every man, right? And it's like, it's like the inverse. In our perspective, if you're, like, if you're pushing for getting the highest position or whatever, that's, that's how you show that you've made it. Where Moses, being humble in the, the, the typical form of Jesus, anti-typical form of Jesus, right? He's basically showing himself that he's submissive to God's plan for his life and that God's the one in control of it, and that he can basically be a part of that without taking charge, and then God can give him greater responsibilities as a result mm -hmm. because of his humble submission to the plan, just like in Nehemiah's situation. Gotcha. So, so show, explain a little bit more of the connection because I lost the connection there. Right. So Nehemiah. basically the connection here with Nehemiah is that um, the taking a posture of humility, yes. right, and, and taking responsibility and, and, yeah. and recognizing that God is in control, yeah. that we are the ones that have failed, Right. allows God to to um, to propel you into a position humble of, yourself in the sight of the Lord that's so right that he can lift you up that he that's can what lift you up. that's what I'm trying to say yeah, thank yeah. you you know yeah. I heard a guy say one time this is random and we can get on to the next day after I say this but unless you've got something else to share Go for it. on Monday's lesson but I heard a preacher once his name was he wrote a few books that I've read and he was a professor from Andrews University what is his name he wrote the book called Jesus is my judge Leslie Harding Les Harden used to say that meekness is the absence of self-justification. That's profound. So Jesus was, was meek and lowly mm -hmm. of heart. That means he in no way and on no level mm. justified himself. Right. He never justified himself. Yeah. And so I always remember Les's statement in that whenever I'm justifying myself. Because why are you justifying yourself? It's because you're not being humble. You're, yeah. you're, you're thinking too much of yourself. You're trying to cover yourself. You're trying to protect yourself. You're trying yeah. to ensure that people view you the right way. 
and understands you correctly. But why would you be doing that if you were completely, totally assured in God? Yes. So when you're totally confident in God, then you don't need to justify yourself so much. And therefore, you can be very meek. Yeah. Because you know God justifies you. God presides got you. So I see in Nehemiah and the Moses example, yeah. people who were radically meek. Mm. And so they didn't need to justify themselves. Hence, you know, you got Nehemiah praying this prayer where he's taking responsibility. He's not like justifying himself. Like, you know, God, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> you know, I'm not yeah. really a part of that. He's not egocentric at all. Yes. Which is just really awesome. So yep. tons of stuff we've said here. We could preach like 10 days on this stuff. And, <laughs> yep. um, but hopefully, guys, you've, you've gotten something out of that. We're going to transition. Yeah, let's go on to, to Tuesday. Tuesday's lesson. So, and the lesson's entitled for that day, Nehemiah speaks out. And uh, yep. the verses that we're asked to read in this uh, day's uh, lesson are Nehemiah. We begin, uh, really, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to read the first eight verses. Uh, no, sorry, guys. Chapter 2. Yeah. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to read those verses right now as fast as I can uh, without being unintelligible. Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Mm. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. The Im implication is up to that point. So the king said to me, why is your face sad that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed, that the God, I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when, when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And the letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber and make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me, because the good hand of my God was with me. Mm, voila! That's, um, there's so much power in these verses and i imagine so many out, lessons yeah there's so many things so that we can lessons. just draw from that but one thing that that really strikes me i think it's really important to note here that you know this kind of sadness that nehemiah is demonstrating in the presence of the king is something that he can't hold back it's not yeah, that's that right. kind of that's it's, right. it's not like some sort of like um you know cheap manipulation yeah. of the king right because you see the reaction when it says that the king responded why are you sad he's afraid right so he's not trying to manipulate the king because he doesn't. He realizes that his position is one that has been granted to him by the grace of God, and it's not one that he can take lightly. Right? Mm -hmm. He recognizes that this is still life and death, being in the the, the 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 presence of the king here. So his sadness, he's like, oh no, I've been sprung. Right? It's like this is a literal yeah. sadness. He's not trying. He to... He starts praying, man, like That's right it. away. That's an indication That's that he's. He, he, I'm gonna pray here. <laughs> so it's this selfless sadness that drives him, you know. Yeah. Um, 
and and just draw drawing in on that a little bit more you know sometimes there's these uh, i've heard it said that you know a lot of a lot of immigrants will talk about their culture back home and how when they go back home there's this expectation that they're going to bring because they've come from a foreign land that's successful and all this kind of thing they've got this expectation that they're going to be looking after their family they're going to be paying for all these kinds of things right and you can have that kind of sense of like you know well you know i've i'm over here i've made it i don't need to go back and try and make a difference back in through there in in that area like i i don't need to right but he's like he's actually feeling the the gravity of that and wanting to go back and make that difference as far as lies within his power. And in, in his prayer, he's also praying to, the, to, to God to say, he's practically saying, use my position, if possible, to glorify your name yeah. by building that, that. And if I could be a part of it, make it so, yeah. right? Um, anyway. He's leveraging, by the way, if I, I want to comment on that. Yeah. He's leveraging yes. his position mm-hmm. in the world for yeah. the sake of the kingdom of God. You could distill down what you said to that statement right there. Yeah. And God is saying to us, do the same thing. Yeah. Leverage the position that you have in the world for yeah. the sake of the kingdom of God. That's right. And that's exactly what he's doing. And that's one of the reasons why he's in the Bible. Um, I wanted to just comment too on the sadness. And I like what you brought up there. But it says, he says, Nehemiah says, I had not been sad in his presence. Yeah. So there's a marked difference in his countenance that's noticed by the king, which shows that this guy, Nehemiah, was a pleasant person to be around. Yeah. He was pleasantly disposed. He took upon his his he took his responsibilities yeah, as a cupbearer uh, very positively. He was a positive force. He was a pleasant person yeah. there in the king's court. Mm. And the king noticed it's like, hey, there's something different. Now this ask, this this kind of like makes me think, if I'm not feeling so good and looking down at the office, at the conference office, does anyone notice? Well, um, if they don't, it might be because I'm a pretty grouchy and not nice person to be around. So I, we should ask ourselves the question. If I went to work with a, with a sour face or a stoic look, would it be any different? You know, because I was sick. If I yeah. looked out of sorts because I was sick, would yeah. anyone notice? Or is that just the way that I would always look? Yeah, yeah. It's exactly right. Like, pleasant. Did I say that right? Did I say that yeah, right? You get that the was, point that I'm making? It was clear. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You want to be a happy person so that people will want yeah, to be around it, it, It's not an issue of being like happy-go-lucky, everything's great. You, you know, you don't take life seriously and that you don't realize there's a time for everything. It's just if, if you're sad, if you're legitimately sad and down and despondent, is that going to make you look different than the way that you always look? The naked truth, to just tell you the naked truth, is that as a conference worker, when I go to the churches, everybody's nice. And I don't think that they're trying to be nice because, oh, someone from the conference is around. I think that they just intuitively think, oh, you're a church worker, you're a servant of God, I'll be nice to you. But when I go into churches and no one knows I'm a conference worker, I know, I, I, you see the difference immediately. Mm. And I think sometimes that we just need to give smiling training to church members <laughs> like how to smile training and i've even and by the way this is not to trash our churches or our church members but i went to one of our churches one sabbath that's known to be like a lovey-dovey church you know and i don't mean that anybody says hey that's a lovey-dovey church but they would style themselves a jesus only church you know mm-hmm. and i remember walking into the church and someone jumped my case about something like they just jumped my case about something and kind of lectured me for like five minutes about something that they thought I said uh, that actually wasn't 
what I had said in a particular circumstance. Mm. They were just like, you said this, you think this, you this, you that. This is Sabbath morning at the Jesus-only church. And you this, and you this. And I explained to this person that they had a, a incomplete understanding of what I thought about right. a certain thing, you know? Anyways, I'm not going to tell you the backstory, but I looked at this person and I said, Hi, my name's Matt Para. I smiled at them and said, Happy Sabbath. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I didn't even know this person's name. I knew that they were married to a pastor, but I didn't know this person's name. And they're bawling me out on the Sabbath. I've never met them before, and they're a Jesus-only person. And I'm like, bro, like you can stamp like Jesus, I'm a friendly person, like mm. badge on yourself, yeah. but that doesn't mean that you're actually friendly yeah, or exactly. smiling or decent. Yeah. Anyways, how do we get off on this tangent? We need to study Nehemiah, but Nehemiah was a happy guy. <laughs> That's the reality. That's it. It's the yeah. same thing with that car situation I was describing. He was a pleasant person. Like if yeah. I've got that little little um, little fish symbol on my car. That's right. Right, and then I'm like I'm like mouthing off at some poor lady that I've just cut off in traffic because she was just as responsible as me. That's right. You know these characteristics that we're highlighting here. They sort of all go together with someone that's actually genuinely consecrated to God. Totally. That's dude, the thing, dude. It's the difference between preaching grace and practicing it. Yes. Or like and this is, if you're in a church, you preach grace, but you hold a grudge. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyways, this guy was legit. He was awesome. Cool. That's now, where do we thing. go from? Where are we at, Brad? So, right now, we're sort of just in the presence of the king. We've just highlighted that Nehemiah is wanting to embark upon this mission. And he's he's taken the gall to actually approach the king about it. And I just love how he highlights mm. that I prayed to God in that moment. I mean, yeah, there so are some times in, in your life where you don't have the capacity to drop to your knees and pray. You know what I mean? Like, you've you just got to send up a quick prayer. You know what I mean? you just got to be on the ball with that, ready to just like, God, I need your assistance right here. I need the words to speak right here so that I don't mess this up because yeah. this is critical, right? And it's just powerful to see that God steps into the moment there, right? Yes. With the queen present, might I add, which adds extra intention, extra tension to the decision-making process for the king mm. when the queen's right there. And yeah. he says, how long are you going to take? Yeah. How how long is this going? And and it's like the spirit is working on his heart in that very moment that Nehemiah sends up his silent prayer because you imagine that he didn't say it out loud, yeah. right? And it's echoing. It's like this is also an important thing, right? He's already consecrated himself to this mission with his prayer previously, and then he comes to the king, and the opportunity affords him affords him to speak up. Right. But he's already spent the time in prayer. So he's early. already sought God. He's already sought God's will for mm. him. So then that silent prayer is just an echo of what he's already pra- already prayed. That's right. It's right. like, now's the time. Now's the time. I prayed in preparation and now I'm praying to you now. You know what's so powerful? That, that, that you, we should be prayerful. Like when we're looking forward to something, you know, like yeah. Father in Heaven, uh, prepare our church for Visitor's Day or whatever. Yeah. And that's good. Or Father in Heaven, we've got this food bank ministry. Please help us to run it well. Whatever. Mm-hmm. But then when you get in the moment, like when it's time to play the game, it's okay, you still need God. You still need to be yes. prayerful and yeah. acknowledge Him as the ever-present helper. Yes. Yeah. That's so important because we can so easily just chop it off. Oh, yeah. I, spent my time I prayed like two weeks ago, man. <laughs> like, I, I put the prayer in the bank, man. I should be perfectly fine now. <laughs> you know? And this is this is what's actually really important. And I think you, you, you've touched on it really well is that Prayer is not so much about bringing God's hand down to manipulate circumstances for our benefit. Prayer is about getting us acquainted with God so that He can elevate us, right? So so what I mean by that is it's like it's to keep our head in the clouds in a spiritual sense. It's going to keep our heads 
towards heaven. Yeah. We're going to have our focus up there where mm-hmm. God dwells. We're going to be ready for, for, for when the situations arise to respond in accordance with our prayers. Yeah. Because we've spent that time. Prayers, see, I've found this in my own life. When I'm praying for people in the church, it's not so much that, that God works on their behalf, which He does, but He works on my behalf towards those people, which is why God says, pray for your enemies. Yeah. Because there's so many situations that you're going to find that people need help and praise God that you can be the, the, the gap stop, right? Yeah. You can be in that place, yeah. ready to, to love on that person. But that's what prayer does. It postures you to be ready to respond to the calling of God on your heart to love on somebody. And it also helps you to remember that yeah. person. When you come in and you're like, oh, that's right, that's that circumstance. How's that going? Yeah. It puts it into the forefront of your mind. Yes. Not only that, but it connects you with God himself. So, so brother, we, we, we are typical Sabbath school students. <laughs> we're going overtime. So what we're going to do, brother, is jump on over to Wednesday. That's a great idea. All right. Man. Thanks for that. And uh, on Wednesday's, in Wednesday's lesson, it's, it, which is entitled Nehemiah Sent, we know now that Nehemiah is troubled by the fact that Jerusalem is in ruins. We know that he has interceded on behalf of the city and the people, and he's taking responsibility. He's throwing himself into God's work because that's where his heart is. He's leveraging his position now with the king, and he's getting permission to go help restore what Babylon destroyed. And before yes. we read the passages of Scripture, I just want to make the point that, that, that modern-day Seventh-day Adventists really are an end-time are, are end Nehemiahs. Mm. Because we believe that throughout the course of Christian history, there has been a Babylonian force right. that has devastated the people of God, the Christian church. It's, 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 it's very similarly to the way ancient Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed Christianity. And we see ourselves as Seventh-day Adventists, as people mm. who are repairing the breach. Right. We're rebuilding the temple of God where the true knowledge of God is. And so the fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist church, we believe, are, are how do you say it? They are a temple of truth, yeah. if you will. And yeah. Jesus, he, he, he came to earth and the apostolic church had a temple of truth mm. that was destroyed by pagan forces throughout the course of Christian True. history. Christianity, yeah. Christianity became paganized, and we Seventh-day Adventists see ourselves like Nehemiahs in the modern yes. era who were the remnant or the rebuilders right. of what Babylon destroyed. And so now here, Nehemiah is sent. Yeah. He's sent, just like Adventists are sent, mm-hmm. to rebuild the temple right. and to restore what Babylon destroyed throughout the course of the, of, the, of the Christian era. And this is the reality with the walls, what you've rightly highlighted, yeah. is the walls were a symbol of the protection of that cultural and religious That's truth, right? right? That's so, right. so it's our job to restore those walls that we're, we're, we are supposed to hold, sacredly hold, the truth and, and, and reality of the great controversy for this time. That's right. Well, it's like this. It's like this. We know, we can say this, and if anybody thinks, they, they hear me saying this, I'm not giving a two-hour lecture on it or showing the texts that, that solidify the point mm-hmm. that I'm making. I'm just, we're just commenting here. Mm-hmm. Somebody might listen to what I'm saying, somebody who doesn't understand the fundamental teachings of the Adventist Church, or they don't understand the book of Revelation correctly. Um, they might say, well, that's, that's a stretch. Well, no, no, not even close. It's not a stretch. The temple at Jerusalem is where the true knowledge of God could be obtained. Yes, the oracles of God. Exactly. That's where the truth, the truth of God. That's where the Bible says in Psalm seventy-seven and verse thirteen, "Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary." Yeah. Okay. The way, the truth, and the life is in the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. The true knowledge of God, Jesus, is found in the sanctuary. 
So that being the case, the sanctuary is destroyed by Babylon. Yeah. In the New Testament apocalyptic book of Revelation, you have Babylon depicted, you know, the harlot and whatnot. And so, and then a call come out of Babylon. So this is mm-hmm. all borrowing from, yeah, like biblical history. And John's ta- he's projecting, he's looking forward into Christian history. Yeah. So he's just saying that the the history of the Christian Church will be a recapitulation of the history of Israel. Mm. And so Jesus, you know, comes and he builds the church, which is the temple. Yeah. The New Testament calls the church the temple. Mm. And it says that the church is the foundation of the truth in 1 Timothy 3.15. So you've got the temple of the New Testament, the church, which is the foundation of the truth. You had the temple in the Old Testament, which was, the, which was where the way of God was found. But it was destroyed by Babylon in the Old Testament. It's destroyed by Babylon in the New Testament. And then John in Revelation 12 talks about a remnant that, that, that is still left after persecution. That lasted for 1,260 years. So yeah. so we Adventists believe, and I think biblically and rightly so, and if you're not an Adventist, you can still believe this as a modern-day biblical Christian, that God has called you to restore what yeah. medieval Christianity, which yeah. everyone agrees is paganized Christianity, has destroyed throughout yes. the course of Christian history. And yeah. so now Nehemiah is sent, and we spent all of our time talking about this, and we don't have time to read our verses, really, but, but that's okay. <laughs> We're going to read the verse anyways. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses... 9 and 10, and uh, we'll see what we can get out of it before we go to the next and last day's lesson. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen, but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. This is so interesting, right? Like, you were just talking about how um, he's, he's, he's standing up to being the repairer of the breach. He's going to repair the, the temple and the walls that protect the oracles of God and their manifestation in the world at the time. And so he's doing the work of God. And then he gets these opposers, right? Yeah. He's already got the edict. He's got the letters from the king. Praise God, he had the wisdom to ask that in the moment, right? Yes. He's got these letters that show that he's on the mission, sent by the king. No one can stop him. And yet there are people that are trying to stop it. And Still. we have that same seal, that same letters. Yes. A commission, right? We have a commission from the king. Exactly, from the king yes. to go into restoring the breach so that people can see the representation of God manifest in his love through the temple and in another sense symbolically our bodies which are the temple of the holy spirit we can represent what that looks like in holistic form right so so when when you take a step towards doing so you will find opposition, right? And, yeah. and you, can, you can find comfort in some of the words that Jesus says in John chapter 15 and verse 18 to 20. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first, yeah. right? You're only following in my footsteps. Recognize that that opposition is not something that indicates that you're off the mark. It yeah. actually should propel you to continue on with your mission that right. God has commissioned you towards. That's right. And that he's going to help you through that. And the reality is that through that opposition, and I've found this in my own life, you can testify, I'm sure, yes. as well as in your own life, that, that those oppositions, those difficulties that you face with other people standing up to try and repel you from doing the work that God's called you to do, yeah. 
Yeah. Those things only serve as a means to grow you, teach you to be more diplomatic if necessary, or to just be more bold for the up, cause of God. Up, right? That's what it's Amen. about. Well, this sir, is bro. why God allows the, the opposition. You see it in the story of David as well. Where they, where, what's that guy's name that comes throwing rocks at him? You know, oh, when he's being exiled. Right? No, 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 no not Nabal. That's another example, right? But no, no, it's this guy yeah, Shimei. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shimei. Yeah, Shimei. Yeah, 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 he's like yeah. throwing rocks at these guys. Oh, this guy, man, what a sucker. <laughs> but you know, it's fun. I just want to jump in Go there, because I think just to, this is a summary statement that comes to my yes. mind. Don't expect when doing the work of God to be able to do it without opposition. Yeah. So he has a commission from the king, and just like we have a commission from the king of the universe, and there are going to be opposers. Don't suppose that because you have been commissioned by God to accomplish a work, that that work is going to go perfectly smoothly and yeah. without opposition. And um, the devil is not intimidated by us, even though mm. we have a commission from the king. Yeah. And I think that sometimes we, I, I see this uh, in evangelism, as the evangelism director of this conference, is that people, they get a commission to go out and do evangelism, and they have a few setbacks, challenges, you know, difficulties, and then they quit. They give up. Yeah. So we try just hard enough to quit when times get tough and difficult <laughs> and challenging. Yeah. And then we say, well, we tried that before. We tried that. Well, Nehemiah could say, well, I tried to go rebuild the wall because, you know, I had the commission from the king and I, he gave me some supplies and materials to rebuild, mm. but I had some opposers and, you know, I tried that. Rebuilding yes. the wall doesn't work. Right. Well, like, of course, there's a devil and there are agencies who serve him and they're going to impose us on lots of different levels and in on many different stages of our ministry and work. Yeah. And we have to develop firmness of purpose. Right. And firmness of intent. Because he could have easily just gone back to comfort. I tried that, yeah. <laughs> I tried it, it didn't work. Yeah, I tried to rebuild the city. Right. And this is yeah. the thing that we need to recognize as Christians, as yeah. Adventists, as as whatever you will, people of God, children of God, that we have a purpose that is going to cost us something. That's right. And I think I remember you preaching on that recently, actually, man. Mm -hmm. How it's going to cost you. And you don't really necessarily know what you're asking yeah. when you're asking for the call of God to be lived out in your life. Yeah. Because it's going to cost you sacrifice. And we That's can right. harp on about that for, for hours, but I think That's the right. point's made That's clean it. No, enough. Awesome. Right. Well, listen, bro. The last, the last lesson, and we just got to end here for time's sake. It was Thursdays, and it's, it's entitled, Nehemiah Prepares for His Task. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to read the passages of Scripture. I'm just going to close up by just saying that the, that the Bible shows us a man in Nehemiah who understands that he needs to make, as much as lies in him, mm. proper planning. Yes, He's not just going to function in a haphazard manner. He's going to, to really count the cost, consider the goal, and understand as much as he can that what it's going to take to accomplish yeah. the task that God has given him. It's important that our plans are practically useful yeah. And plans that may be great when crafted in a boardroom may not be practically useful to the circumstance that you're in. So let our plans be born out of experience. Yeah. The experience that we're having as we're as we're in the trenches, yes. working with God, if that makes sense. So it does. those are the last things I'm going to say. Brad, you want to close us down and say a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we just want to thank you that you have provided for us the story, testimony, and example of a man after your own heart by the mm -hmm. name of Nehemiah. Lord, we just want to thank you for his example and ask that you would implement such um, powerful, God-fearing, and uh, intentional 
attitudes and uh, directives as, as demonstrated in this story in our own lives, that we may bring glory and honor to your name from a humble standpoint as Moses did above mm-hmm. all others. A humble man, may we be like Christ, may we be representative of Christ in our world, in our professional sense, in our church and spiritual context. May we represent you and bring glory to your throne. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.